I'll oh, pray. Sounds and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, quick, before we really get into it, because it sounds like it's going to be pretty deep today so far. Uh, really? We, well, no. Uh, but quick shout out here to Aaron Hopfinger. from He's the podcast guy from Highland, Illinois. Got me a Father McGivney baseball hat. Nice. So this is your thank you. You're the man. And let me just tell you guys, Father McGivney is the Catholic high school near here. And this is... This is a cool hat. This is a ball player's hat. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Like you see this and you're like, yep, this is this is for a ball player. Hmm. So pretty excited about it. And yeah, thanks to Aaron. Shout out. Big fan. Ball player's hat. Um, mm-hmm. I can kind of hear myself through one of you guys' microphones. Echoing. Well, Probably uh, Matt's because I couldn't hear it before. Yeah. Are you serious? Looking at you, Mets. It's all good. Uh, it's going away. Yeah, because I'm far away. Other, this isn't exactly a shout out, but just this morning, uh, in the minutes before I called y'all, got a nice email from Melanie Loon, mm-hmm. who I guess I sent some stickers before because uh, she thanks me for them. But like in our recent podcast and says, um, whether you realize it or not, you all are part of the new evangelization and it is a gift. That's pretty cool. Also, well said. That means a lot. Yeah. Cool. She liked the thing about not squandering affections and using genuine mm-hmm. honesty. I feel like... I wonder, if she would, I wonder if she would go as far as saying we are churching when we podcast. Yeah, we are church. Nice. We are church. <laughs> we church. <laughs> Let's get on Skype and church, guys. Hey, I learned another. I learned another cool youth phrase the other day. Um, send okay, it. say this real quick, and then I have also something to just totally one up all of you guys. <laughs> nice. So, go ahead. Yep. Uh, send it is this is the new like frat guy thing to say. Like, what? dude, let's send it. You know, <laughs> like if you're gonna, I, if you're gonna go party that. party or chug some something beverage oriented, be like, dude, send it. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned, that, I learned that yesterday so I'm, I'm all about it so use it in a sentence like how it would be used um all right dude uh we i have a snowmobile here and i made a huge ramp dude i'm gonna send it <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna go ham basically you're not, holding, you're not gonna hold except back. it's yeah it's um a little bit different. It's just full send. Mm. Full uh, full send. Yeah, dude, full send. Full send. A kid yesterday, uh, Francis. I doubt he. Do- I doubt he listens, but uh, I, he he's like, dude, I got a I got a sub at Fontana's for the first time, and I was like, oh, right on. Uh, that's a pretty good place. What what sandwich did you get? And he goes, um, a meatball. And I was like, oh, I haven't tried that. I'm kind of afraid to, but I've heard it's really good. He's like, yeah, it's messy. It's full send. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I go, um, you're going to have to translate that one for me. Wow. <laughs> then wow. He, I've never heard that. He initiated yep. me to the whole thing. 
Yeah, full send. I I think it's a similar idea. It's like all in. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the one of the camps for the youths for the youths that I worked uh, maybe last summer, I guess it was on uh, on the way into mass. One of the campers like came up right next to me as as we were processing in and was like, dude. Okay, the challenge is you got to add full send into your homily. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, no, dude, you just use it, man. You don't even know. Like the kids would go nuts. <laughs> and so he he challenged me as we were processing in to try and add that phrase into the homily, literally as we were processing in. And did so, you? I I totally did. It worked. I just used. I just said the words. I <laughs> didn't know what it meant. Totally out of context. <laughs> Well, but it was perfect because it was on D-Day. And so I talked about D-Day oh. like the soldiers were – it was full send. They were like going Wolf. out of the yeah. going out of the boats nice into combat. Work, and man. everyone was like, oh, the kids' heads were exploding. You gotta I had be, no idea what I said. You got to be really meant. careful with that stuff though, guys. Yeah, it's very true. It be like, oh, man, it's totally like Netflix and chill or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Have you ever heard the one about LOL, where the where the mother thought it meant lots of love, and you, I think you've told that on. Yeah. The, have you told that on the cast before? I can't remember. The girl said something really sad, like someone's dog had died, and she goes, "OMG, LOL." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> All right, one up, lots us, Rob. Lots of love. Um, oh yeah. So, um, speaking, speaking of full send, I conquered the Illinois half marathon in Champaign. Oh, congratulations. Yep. So crushed it. And, um, but coolest part about it, I heard a confession while running the Illinois half marathon. Oh, how how sweet is that? Yeah. I know. I know Matt's like uh, your airport story was pretty dang cool but this one was pretty awesome dude yeah. can you tell it yeah i mean i just like i asked me if um i don't want to obviously share the details or anything <laughs> but yeah, yeah. uh yeah, I mean, uh, what did say what did y'all talk about though <laughs> <laughs> how did he how did he identify you as a priest well i had father rob on my bib like oh nice you know dude. and then we made uh we made siue like husker catholic shirts as as well and um it was at like mile five and that was right i kind of got this well i ran the i ran the half marathon i think in like two hours and seven minutes which is like a nine forty five pace or something mm. and my goal was like 10 minute miles so that was i was pretty happy with that but then like right before I was, I just said, I, you know, and this came across my mind. I said it just like this. I was like, I got to go full send on this, you know? <laughs> um, and I was like, I bet I can crush this and do it in under two hours. So I ran that pace for like five miles and then I just didn't have the lungs to, to do it. But the, um, confession came right at the five mile, five mile mark. And so it probably took me a good minute to get the words of absolution out of my mouth, but I did it. So I just had to take like God, gasping breaths. The Father of Mercy. No, that is exactly what it sounded like. But I made sure all the words were correct, gave the blessing, nice. and that was it. That wow. is so cool. That dude, you know what you were doing, right? You were churching. 
You were, I churched. You were on a journey. You were sojourning with this guy. You were not literally walking with him. You were running with him. The race. You were running the race. I just want to together. walk with you. Yeah. And I said, not. I said, for your penance as church, why don't you church? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the important thing is you want to do us... with that. I think he knew. I give that penance a lot. I say, <laughs> as church, you should church. <laughs> oh, that's. And I, People always know what it means. Yeah, it's you nice know? and specific, so, so they know when they're done yes, with their penance, exactly. and they can they can go back and live it, in the state of grace. And like, it just really embraces their like, <laughs> and and I think gives them a lot of hope for the future. <laughs> as a as a penance is as church, uh, you are to church. <laughs> We're going on silly street, guys. Ugh. And then I just you know I yeah like. Yeah, that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking. So anyway, <laughs> you should have just been like, and for your penance, contemplate what Paul means when he says, "Run so as to win," and then just smack him and take off, <laughs> <laughs> sprint like a hundred yards, and then just start dying, gasping for air, throwing up like as he runs by me, quarter mile down the <laughs> down the way. <laughs> what that didn't happen? <laughs> what? Well, so you did beat, you did get your time that you were, you were going. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. Nice. It was fun. And it was sweet to run into Memorial Stadium, uh, where the ghost galloped, pinnacle of college football, oh, red uh, um, 50 yard line, et cetera. And so that was pretty awesome. Ate some Papa Dell's pizza after also pretty Papa awesome. Papa Dell's. Papa Dell's, man. That's good stuff. Big, That's thick true. crust, right? <clears throat> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, so, so anyway. this, was in, this was in Champaign. Where did you guys start the race? Uh, right by Assembly Hall. Oh, I'm sorry, State Farm Center. Excuse me. Oh, they changed uh, the name of that? Great. Yeah, years ago, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's call it Assembly Hall because that's what it is named. Yeah. Um, Everybody still says Sears Tower. <laughs> exactly. But you start right by there and then like by one of the parking lots and then you finish running it's like the 50 yard line of memorial stadium it was awesome nice awesome. yeah yeah did you say y'all made husker catholic t-shirts no dude siue cougar catholic t-shirts come on cougar catholic i was i was wondering i thought okay. you did say husker catholic I'll, I'll rewind the tape oh dang well i mean that's my that's in my past i'm not saying maybe i didn't mean that siue listen <laughs> I'm, in. I'm in okay it was dude, a there's a problem with the internet it's out yeah. there it's out there now. Dang it. I'll tell you Just, what, dude. I'm so jealous of you. If the kids here don't buy me a UIC dad shirt soon, I think I might just go buy one for myself. Honestly, <laughs> it's still the best thing I've ever been given. So, yeah, absolutely. You need one, man. Get Just go buy yourself one. It'll make you feel a little better. Anyway. Mm-hmm. You've earned it. Um, I started reading that Schmeman book. Oh, nice, dude. What do you think? It's great. Actually, I had coffee yesterday with this uh, Anglican guy, about my age, married. He's, um, I wasn't aware of this. It's another nice topic because it's super poorly researched. But, um, oh man, I said topic. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll cut it out. Leap it out. I'll leap it out. Leap it out. Um, Should we just start over or what? I'm, actually, I'm not even recording. JK Lols. Um, lots of love. <laughs> I. He he like ran into me at the little coffee shop in the it's called UH University Hall. It's this big ugly building on campus, but they have a coffee shop in the bottom. And uh 
really outgoing guy. He saw me in my clerics. He's like, Oh, you know, I'm Chris and blah, blah, blah. And got my number. And, uh, like a week later we, we got coffee. This was yesterday. And, um, the Anglican, I was like, so Anglican, Episcopalian question mark. I thought they were the kind of the same thing, but, uh, evidently in 08, there was this other, like historically, I guess the, the Anglican churches in North America have been like in the United States, it's the Episcopalian church. And in Canada, it's the Anglican church. And I don't know about the missionary churches, like in the South, like Africa or the Philippines or wherever they've, they've also planted churches, but, um, because of some questionable doctrinal things where it seemed like the Episcopalian church was kind of going off the rails with some pretty key dogmas, like the divinity of Christ or the resurrection and things like that. Um, those who wanted to be more faithful to the historic traditional Anglican doctrines and practices, even so, even like I asked him, do you believe in the real presence? And he said, yes, they, they believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. And, um, you know, he, he, I brought up the Schmemann book with this guy and he said, Oh yeah, I love that book for the life of the world. Right. Um, oh, which, wow. yeah, it was very cool. So we talked for a while about theological stuff and ministry and, they just started this campus ministry a few years ago uh, called Cornerstone Crew, and they do Alpha and things like that. So just talking about ways that I might kind of key into what they're doing and vice versa. Yeah. But um, I thought that was really interesting that an Anglican had read Schmemann because he's Orthodox, correct? That's right. So I don't know. It's it's kind of neat to see there's there's these strains of people churching in all different traditions that are, are, are all kind of hitting the same note. <laughs> but I just started it. I, I thought one of the um, the really cool ideas that made a lot of sense to me was his diagnosis of the problem where like religious people and secular people both have agreed upon this erroneous worldview yeah. that... Um, contemplation, meditation, adoration is in competition with daily worldly concerns, you know? So you tend to, in Christianity, have these two opposing camps, one of which is like, we need more beauty. We need, need more sense of the sacred. We need more fidelity to the tradition and, and um, things like that, like personal holiness and morality. And then the other side is like, oh, you guys are such Pharisees. You just hung up on these like old religious things. Like Christ came to give us a new civilization. So you need to get out in the streets. That's where Christianity is practiced. There's a song in uh, Spanish called, by Mana called Dios es verbo no, sus no sustantivo. God is a verb, not a noun. I always thought that was such a dumb grammatical thing to say. But that whole idea like you have like Christianity is not about um, like just going and praying and, and loving God by yourself. You have to go do stuff and change the world. And that's what Christ calls us to do. And he's like, no, neither, you know, those, those two things should never have been in, in distinction because Adam and Eve in the garden are hungry for the world. And every meal they ate was communion with God because they received it straight from him. Um, and so, like, I think he says, is the meal the last kind of thing that we at least a little bit instinctively see as 
communion with God and each other, like when you sit around and eat it, eat a meal, but otherwise your work and your, your daily, you know, cleaning the house and taking care of your kids. And it's, it's hard for us in the fallen world to see all of that as sacramental. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're yeah, really what? good at book I, summaries, by the way. Thanks. You are, dude. I literally read that chapter and I was like, I I sort of get what he's saying, but what you said right there yeah. was was very helpful for me to understand it. Um, but it's it's like the theology that's behind Babad's feast, legitimately, yeah. or not the yeah. well, the theology of it, yeah, for sure. But also the errors in both of the camps that dine together at at Babad's feast. So if if you're on the one side that says no, life is all about contemplation, and it's only about the sacred, and everything that's created is quasi-profane. Therefore, the world is something that we have to bear instead of something that we have to receive as a gift. Right. That's the camp that they come to the meal, and they're and they're doing it as an act of penance. Or they're like, oh, no, we gave her all this. She has all this. Um, this is her last opportunity. She's been with us for so long. She's going to feed us this this poison. She's going to make us drink wine. So we promise we won't say anything bad about it. That's like the oath they mm-hmm. make. Yeah. So they, they they sit through the dinner with this idea that it's going to be a penance. And then you have the quote-unquote worldly man who's the other guy who's that commander. What's He's the general? I've never I can't seen remember. Oh, dude. I know. Okay, well, he comes in and he's the guy who knows he knows about all of the worldly nature of this food. He knows how to eat it correctly. He knows exactly where the wines are from. He can understand the quality of the food itself. But he's lacked communion. He's lacked community and he's lacked love. So he's been off learning this worldly stuff. But so so in some way he teaches them how to enjoy the meal and then they are the ones who bring communion into his life. And so the actual feast itself becomes the unifier of and the healer of both the, this is a penance, and I am purely of the world. Mm-hmm. He, in, in the meal itself, it bridges the two, yeah. and the Catholic artist draws everyone into communion. And, and the movie actually beautifully ends with them them praying uh, together. But, yeah, it's I, I see it very much as the theology behind Babette's Feast. Yeah, no, that's good. Because it's the same guy, it's the worldly guy that kind of puts, they like use him to put, to articulate what is happening. And he says, he makes that like beautiful toast of like mercy and truth have embraced. And like, that's the the whole thing of like God honors our, he, he embraces our yeses and he honors our, our nose. And it's like, all of it is drawing us closer into himself. Yeah, man, that's good. Hmm. I'm thinking about warming over a talk for this, uh, talk series. It's the last one of the semester on Wednesday and just given my addiction and grace talk. But there's a, a thing from that Gerald May book that I think about a lot. He said that God calls us to a life of easy joy, but we don't get to be in control. Hmm. Um, and I, I kind of think there's something there like right at the heart of, of the problem. Um, why we suffer or why we need to suffer in order to enter into paradise or go back to Eden where because it's so hard not to need to in a certain sense reject the world like Exodus 90 is a good example like why do you need to rewire your brain um, 
from these things in the world that should be good. They're all goods, you know, even, even technology, which is so easily abused and used as sort of an addictive thing. Like what's, what's the Exodus 90? Do you not, you give up streaming stuff or just like screens in general or what, what's the thing? Yeah, it's, it's basically everything except for work stuff. Right. So we need this asceticism like the monks on Mount Athos, for instance, um, <laughs> you need to you need to renounce quote the world in the sense that well Christ uses it in the Gospels he talks about the you know the, the leaders of the world lorded over them and stuff like the values of of the world as it is in contradistinction to God and the kingdom but the kingdom's location is the world you know it's not like we're going to go off into some airy spiritual uh, separate state of being where we're disembodied and we no longer need to eat anymore um, or be entertained or, you know, like all of the, all of the things that we kind of think is world of as worldly and we've fallen, religious people have fallen into this kind of dualism where, well, I just need to not do those things in order to be holy. Um, no, you need to discipline yourself, direct your desire uh, to God first. And then the other things sort of, that's the often abused St. Augustine line, love and do what you will. Like once you have God as the center of your, of your desire, like all your desires are directed to him, then the feasting and everything as it was meant to be happens. But then it's not like to go to heaven, you have to give up sex and alcohol and food and everything that makes you feel good because God wants you to just have him. No, it's, um, he wants you to have all that stuff, but you don't get to be in control. In other words, you don't get to use it to like make yourself feel good. You have to receive it as a gift. Um, and I've never seen Babette's feast, but that sounds like where they're at. Like the, the people that think like, no, the, the, the objects themselves are the enemy. You know, these, these goods of the world distract us from God. And so we need to not, um, allow ourselves to enjoy them because it's a sin. God is saying, no, what the sin is that you use these things apart from me. Um, I want you to have them, but I want to, I want to be the one giving them to you and for you to receive them from me mm-hmm. on my terms, because I know better than you what your heart actually wants. And when we say, no, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the goods of the world on my own terms. Then we get ourselves into these addiction loops where we become slaves to the things because we're loving, we made them idols and loving them in themselves instead of loving the creator in the created things, you know? Yeah. My question, and this is like a question to you because you've obviously like thought, been thinking about that a lot of, I mean, I think the, like the grace aspect of that is oftentimes just like right in front of your your face of like a sacramentality of the world etc but i'm trying to think of what i'm trying to ask here but thinking about like well even for instance like thinking of the three of us like our stories of i remember like all three of us had pretty profound experiences of god and his love at like ipf if that meant you know we all we've talked about that before and there was something of like going back to that experience or encounter or whatever it is of like all of a sudden it felt like Jesus showed up in like a really tangible way in 
like my heart. And I think you guys would say something similar or at least in a new way or like maybe the better way to say it is like we were able to to see it in in a new way. So how, how do you help someone like incorporate that into like their prayer into like their life, et cetera, of I guess why I'm asking is, you you know, certain like just as a priest, I think oftentimes you're so dependent on like not only in your own life, but then in people that you are like counseling or just with, et cetera. It's like you have to wait for Jesus to like really show up mm-hmm. in, in those moments. And I mean, that's one way to say it. But have you incorporated that aspect into that, like thinking or talk at all? That makes sense. Um, yes. So what May, May would say is um, the way back to paradise is the desert. So um, you have to, like what most people do when they realize they're addicted to something is they try to reform their behavior. Like I'm addicted to nicotine or, or alcohol or TV or or good things like working out or human relationships and things like I've, I've made an idol of this thing and now I'm a slave to it and it's causing me stress when I don't have it and I, I need to detach. So they, they fill in, like say somebody's addicted to food, then they're like, okay, instead of eating, I'm going to exercise and, and live like a healthier lifestyle. But that's really just um, replacing a bad addiction with a good, a good addiction. You're still not free. And it's, in other words, you, you, you've, reformed your behavior but you haven't transformed your desire like it's like taking medicine to mask the symptoms instead of treating the problem right so what's what the other option is is to allow yourself to be transformed in these things and realize that what you're finding in this weakness like i can't stop doing this behavior whether it's sinful or not um and i i want to stop um is like repressing the desire is not the answer mm. um, yeah. because desire is not the problem. It's the direction of the desire that's the problem. So it needs to be disciplined, which, which requires a renunciation. But let's say you're giving up, um, let's say you're giving up uh, sugar or something like that, but that's your main comfort thing. It's like to eat cookies or candy or whatever. And then when it comes to like, you get your normal cyclical kind of craving, like, whatever the, the circumstances, like the end of a meal, this is when I always eat something sweet and your, and your body and your mind is just like, I can't function until I get a fix of this thing that I'm addicted to. Um, instead of being like, all right, well, I'm just going to drink a coffee instead, or I'm going to, I'm just going to go for a run. So I stop thinking about it. Instead of filling that space, like when you run up against that deep, and I think we've all felt it, like whatever the thing is, you feel like a deep need out of habit for a thing. And like you are just thinking about it and you, you're wanting it and you're feeling the lack to enter the space spaciousness right there. It takes faith. Um, and that is where you learn what he calls the facts of grace, um, which are that grace is always there meaning it it exists no matter where you are or what you're doing. Grace is always there because God is always there. It's available to you if you ask for it. Mm. All you need to do is ask for grace and God will pour it out more than you need. 
and it's always victorious. It always conquers the the temptation. Like no, no. Um, in other words, like you can't lean on your will in that moment. That's what most addicts try to do. That's where they get caught up. Is like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna power through this. That, like classic. I'm gonna cut back. Meaning, like mm-hmm. I'm in I'm still in control here. Um, I just like I can stop whenever I want. I'm just gonna cut back. I, I you know I like the thing, but I I just I need to you know as soon as you're like cutting back on any behavior, that's a red flag because you're like okay this is a problem. You know I don't have a problem with shopping. Personally, I never think about like, I need to stop buying so many clothes. Like I, I don't have enough clothes. Um, <laughs> you know, so I don't have to, I don't have to cut back because it's not a, it's not a problem area for me, but there are things that are. And when you, when you run up against the, the spaciousness, the temptation will always be to like grab onto some comfort, something that I can be in control of so that I don't have to enter into this really scary place, which is your heart and realizing like, Fundamentally, I don't have the resources to feed my deepest hunger. And so I have to wait on Jesus, like you're saying. And then what he says is the desert, which is symbolized by the Exodus, most especially, that's where the springs of water come up. That's actually Eden. Um, The desert turns into a garden. Uh, And that's why it's always a surprise. It's, It's never like, okay, let's find a better place to live and, and make our homes there. It's like you have to go out into the place of total reliance on God. And mm. it's very, it's, what he says, it's not easy, but it's very simple. Like the, the thing to do when you're addicted is to stop feeding your addiction and don't replace it with anything else. And if you let it, those areas, even if they're like a silly thing, like you're addicted to YouTube, um, that can be a that can be the place where like your your deepest transformation happens because it's the place you need grace. You can't be in control, and so God wants to give you the life of easy joy. He wants to feed you with everything you need to be joyful, but you cannot be in control. And this is where you learn those facts. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. I think honestly, the question kind of came from. I mean, what you said holds is like deeply true. And I honestly, I think what where I'm at right now is, is I think having experienced that um, in really beautiful and tangible ways, et cetera, and like continuing to need it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it's just you got to learn how to be a priest in the first, you know, forever, like in the first year, et cetera. But it's like now just being in a capacity and a role, which is such a privileged place as a priest in a sense to be able to like say very confidently to someone like, no, we need to like, I'm with you here and we need like, we need to let Jesus show up here and like not, not be afraid to not squash those desires in, in your heart Mm. and to not run away away from them. Cause I actually do believe he can fulfill them. Um, but it takes a lot of patience and, it honestly, I've just found it takes a lot more guts and heart, like to have the confidence to tell someone else that like in Jesus name at even more so than like my own life kind of waiting for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's just where I'm at anyway. Yeah. I think the natural thing when you see somebody suffering or in doubt is to yeah, you just want to take just, the hurt away. Yeah. yeah. Comfort them. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. I'm thinking of a thing yesterday. It's very... 
you feel very helpless when you have to tell a person like it's well you don't even say like it's going to be okay you know because right. you don't know that it's going to be okay yeah it's just this yeah. sucks <laughs> um yeah yeah it's a powerful place mm -hmm. um yeah you know it's a very it's a very humbling like very very humbling place and i remember it's not the same thing and i'm not comparing it to this but I still remember, I think it was a Father Mike Schmidt's homily, and this is not, this is a total paraphrase. This probably isn't exactly what he said at all. But I think when I was on focus staff, he came to preach one time. And I just remember the kind of the point of him saying was, he like realized this in his own life of he went, one of his students or somebody he knew that he had kind of impacted in a way was going to be a missionary to like a far off country. And it just hit him that like, this was this could cost this kid like everything. This could cost this kid his life. And it was because of like God's action through him, you know, father Mike at this point, but, but from him that like this conversion had spurred on, you know? And he, I, I just remember, I don't know if this was his point, but I remember him. I remember thinking like the point was like, you better believe what you say you believe when you become an evangelist or like you really start to live a life of discipleship because it's going to impact like your life and other people's lives mm -hmm. very, very like radically. Um, and so it's just, uh, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool humbling place anyway. Yeah. Cause when you set people on this, on this trajectory, it does sometimes God asks for pretty insane things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, it's we still, cool. it's we been still a, got it's you, a Mike. Of conversion of my own heart, of like being able to just say and have peace, like taking it to prayer over and over. Of like, no, I actually think it's like it's worth it to not like let your de desires be repressed and to like engage all of these deep, deep longings in your heart because I actually do believe Jesus is going to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're, I just realized that like in that of, of people oftentimes learning how to trust Jesus is like, they trust you in the moment. And that's going to hopefully in, in the life of discipleship, allow them to trust Jesus more in their life. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I, I guess my prayer over and over the past like month, especially has been like, Lord, just please, please help me to not screw this up. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how else to say it besides that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it seems like every interaction is so high stakes when you're, when you're doing this. Like when people come in and they're like, you know, one thing, one thing I don't often think about, but I think is true is that Sometimes, especially when it's like the first time somebody's coming to see you, there's a whole lead up to that, you know, like I'm going to go talk to the priest about this thing and see what he oh, yeah. says, you know, okay. and for you, it's another appointment. But for this person, it's like maybe years have led up to yeah. them finally calling a priest and being like, here's what I'm, here's what I'm feeling and thinking. Yeah. And you, you recognize like, oh my gosh, what I say here really matters. Yeah. But, uh. That marriage counselor analogy has has helped me a lot, Mike. Like that you're you're just a, yeah. bro a broker between two persons. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, like it's deep. It can be deeply free too. We talked. Was it last week? Just talking about like, I don't know, just the guys that are like able to laugh off the. Or just, you know, human beings in general that are, like, able to laugh off the small stuff, etc. Um, I kind of had a, a a cool grace, um, which it, it bothered me for a little bit, but I had a, a funeral recently, and I've been battling this cold, and I just went and I had forgotten to take, like, a water with me, and during the homily, man, I just went into, like, a coughing fit. Mm. Um, and it was horrible. It was so embarrassing. And like one of the family members of like the, the woman that we were praying for had to like go get me and find me a water just so I could like control the calling or the coughing. And it was, I just felt so bad of like, here's this like big moment in this family's life. And this young priest is just up there like (laughs) uncontrollably coughing during the homily. (laughs) Like right in between a point too, you know, uh, in it. And, but I just, I, I don't know. I just took it to like a little exam and at the end of the day, it obviously came up and I was like, dang man, Jesus, I hope you're in charge. Cause I can't be. And like, you just got to laugh that one off, mm-hmm. you know, and there's nothing else to, there's nothing like intentional or ill prepped or anything like that in it. And I was like, this, this is not like my identity. And so, and the family, honestly, they were laughing like after etc so anyway it was was it one of those things where you like aspirated some saliva <laughs> no went, not quite the, i didn't the, <laughs> hate that yeah no i don't i don't know i don't know what it was but it was just a it was a fit man <laughs> it was a fit dude but what an important moment there at the end of the day being able yeah. to to do that examine and yeah be like if you don't do that, you know, maybe that stuff sticks with you. And sure. I just think of how many times, yeah, you know, little, little mistakes or quote unquote failures that, um, they're, they're not moral failures, but it's just like, I'm, I'm imperfect and I can't do everything. And if I think that I have to, like, I will be crushed. I will absolutely be crushinated. I remember that happened over my deacon summer and it was a big grace to kind of, to be able to do exactly what you're talking about. It was my first time, you know, preaching and teaching in front of people and being a quote unquote minister publicly and professionally churching. Um, <laughs> you were churching. Yeah. I was churching. I was churching hard and the people were so good and I, I loved it. And, but I, I took myself so seriously. Like I thought, yeah. I thought I had to do all this stuff and I had, I thought I had to be perfect. And, it was just super important to to be able to come back to prayer, which, yeah, I mean, I love that image that you're talking about, Connor. Like, I think all these things are connected that in a lot of ways for the priest and, and probably for the parent as well. Like, I, I guarantee you parents have the same hurt or the, the same suffering that they have to go through where it's like, I want to give my child everything and I want to I want to love them and raise them well. But I can't do everything like there's just it's impossible. Hmm. And, and so if we don't come back to that desert, which is prayer in a lot of ways and like suffer with the existential pain of knowing that I'm not God. And so I have to trust you, God. Oh, gosh, that's a really good way to put it. That is a good way to put it. Because if not, then it's like, well, if I'm not living in the fact of grace, which I love that phrase, 
or the, the reality that God is actually there, if I'm not engaging in that, if I'm not actually living like that's true or returning to that, to that place, then, I mean, you're, we're going to have to take over. If, if, if I'm not living like God's real, then who else is going to do it? Mm-hmm. I still want my children to, to be raised well. I still want them to be loved and be provided for. I, I don't, I don't want to see them suffer. Yeah. So then we try to, we try to create them instead of letting the Lord like love them and raise them and provide for them. Um, but it was such a big moment for me to just go to prayer and, and be like, Lord, I'm 27 or 26. Like I'm a Gooberstein and I really need your help. And just to kind of be able to laugh at myself, but I could only do that in the freedom of being loved as a, like a son and, and as his deacon at the time I was a deacon and, um, yeah, cause outside of that, then we're just crazy people who are skirting responsibility. But if we can live in the reality of the love <laughs> of God, then it's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do my best. But at the end of the day, like the Lord is in charge and, and then to, to have the freedom to laugh. Um, Yeah. And then actually engage in ministry and engage people well in freedom, like that freedom that you talked about, Rob. Um, I think that only comes in suffering and prayer and trusting in a God who actually will provide. Yeah. It's like we say that all the time. But then do I actually return to him and and act like he will provide? That's that's why this addiction thing is... um, why may harps on it so much because uh when it comes to the big stuff that's really hard like the really deep existential dread of the fact that i'm not god means that i'm gonna die and i'm and, you know like nothing's gonna be okay and i can't i can't make myself um happy i can't i can't provide for the deepest thing i want uh so i have to just confront like the naked universe and, and hope for the best. Um, it takes the training of learning the facts of grace by practice. That's why faith is, is a virtue that can be practiced. It never stops being an act of trust. He says, um, even the more you learn the facts of grace and like through the little things, um, by not feeding yourself and renouncing that, right as a human being you're free you can you can make yourself a slave if you want you can just keep trying to fill the the sieve with water even though it keeps falling out and you just keep needing like the more you get it the more you need it to just stop that vicious cycle and to open yourself up to grace and in these little ways that are really simple although sometimes extremely difficult um you start to learn more um that god actually is trustworthy you know, so then you can go do crazy stuff. Like I keep thinking about that guy you were talking about in Colombia. It was 18 years addicted to crack. And now it's just like this free man who goes out into the streets and, and helps people and can tell them from experience. It's like the people that saw Jesus risen from the dead. Like I'm telling you it's, it happened. You know, uh, we all saw him. He's real. Uh, like when you've had an experience like that, you can you can trust that even though somebody right now is totally in the throes of like some deep slavery and suffering that 
if they if and when God gives them the prevenient grace of of just being open to grace like salvation's going to happen he's he's real he does show up grace is available uh present and victorious when and if this guy can just like put down his weapons and and let God fight for him um but yeah trying to bite off the whole thing at once is imp- like trying to just become a saint overnight doesn't really happen um i think that was my that was my temptation at the beginning like when i was in college and trying to you know with my accountability crew and bible study and focus and everything was just like all right let's do this i mean we got the we got the battle plan i got my rocky training montage i'm just going to go get holy now <laughs> and uh it didn't work because the fundamental issue was not um i'm doing bad things and i need to start doing more good things like i just need to pray more and stop sinning that wasn't the issue <laughs> you know the issue was that i needed to i needed to be discipline become a disciple and learn at the feet of the master like what life actually is um i was thinking about our book dude and, that's just what that's what made me laugh right there that should be a chapter in the book stop <laughs> sinning and pray more <laughs> stop sinning and pray more <laughs> yes we can be life coaches, I think, finally. I was thinking 100%, about this. 100%. Dude. The but that's totally coach. what you think. It's like, okay. Just in, I mean, it's not that it's untrue. Like, you do need to stop sinning, and we do probably need to pray more. But, like you're saying, that's not, that's not the, um, the crux of the, of the matter right there. And the thing is, like, even if you try to do that, the dragons will rear their ugly heads pretty quickly. Like, because yeah. you're not in control. That's that was the thing. Is I thought, I'm totally fine. You know, I I had a good upbringing, and I'm Catholic, and I you know, I'm a you know well balanced, emotionally stable individual. I can just do this. Like I'm not weak. Like some people that need like all sorts of healing and therapy and stuff to to know that God loves them. I'm just like I'm just gonna go do this now, uh, and. Like it's in short order, you just the wheels completely fall off, and you're like, I'm not saying that I was drunk in a ditch or in prison or anything like that, but mainly just because I wasn't brave enough to do something (laughs) that bad, you know. It was, but like I was still a slave, and even religion can become an addiction. May says, like religious practices. God is the only; he's not a thing, but uh, if he were an object. God would be the only object that does not admit of attachment because he's a person. He will, he just refuses to let us use him as a comfort blanket. He will only address us as, as a person, person to person, the I thou, like every other thing, including religious practices, including even like the sacraments, the mass, the the Eucharist, the, the rosary devotions, everything like that's the whole, instead of sinning, I'm just going to pray a rosary. You know, when I'm tempted to, to sin, but then like you feel like the temptation goes, doesn't go away because you, you're still not open to grace. You're just like, this is my new habit that I do instead of the bad habit. Instead of like confronting what's because that's scary. And especially if you're, you're vulnerable in those spots, like not to go there alone. You know, you do need you do need friends. And that's where 
accountability or really vulnerability with another human being, um, at least in the confessional, but hopefully with, with somebody that's kind of on your level that you're churching with. Um, <laughs> Dang, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. Know. Hey, and if I could, <laughs> if I can throw in a, um, like, like not a caveat necessarily, but, um, with the, with the praying and the devotions and rosary and like oh I I have a temptation coming on I'm gonna go and pray, it, I think it's a it's a good instinct of course and I've done that um, like tons and tons of times but to think that it's magically gonna fix it is um, obviously that's a misunderstanding but at the same time that doesn't mean that's not the right place to be right I, yeah and, Father I'm gonna pull Father Karchi don't hear what I'm not saying I'm not saying yeah yeah don't yeah don't pray when you feel tempted I'm just saying that the prayer is not like for it to be prayer. It can't be just you doing something. It has to be like a running to the dad and saying, basically like St. Ignatius thing, like the devil is a coward. Uh, and if you tell your father what he's telling you, he's trying to seduce you into some uh, sin, just tell, tell the father and he'll like the devil will run away. But what we often do is like, I'm just going to go to the chapel and I'm going to, I'm going to think really hard or, or, and, and you're not, you're not in a posture of openness. Yeah. You're, and then also you're there's, still clinging to control. There can be like a huge belief or whatever it is in there of like, okay, well I'll just pray for X amount of time and then the temptation will be gone mm-hmm. or like this, whatever thing will be gone then, which also isn't, isn't the case, even though it's the right instinct and you are running to, to the dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's where like going and running to prayer, it may not, quote unquote, fix the problem immediately, but it's super important. And this still occurs in almost all of my holy hours. I don't even know what I'm praying until like I'm not even actually praying authentically until like 45 minutes into my holy hour. It takes me forever Mm -hmm. to actually and I'm not even talking about entering into a contemplative state or something like that. Or like, I'm just, I'm a complicated mess and I can come in and pray a rosary, which is, is, is helpful. And that kind of gets me in the right place. But then I got to talk to the Lord and actually get to the bottom of like, what's actually going on. And and so, although when we come in and we first pray and it doesn't quote unquote fix the problem, that may be a super important step in, in being open more and more so that the Lord actually does do that work. Cause it, you know, we can't just come in and perfectly articulate and name things. It would be awesome if we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. But it takes – that's where it takes actual disciples who you're churching with to be able to talk <laughs> about stuff and, and to process things. Or like that's where going to counseling can be so helpful when you have somebody who can help tell you about some, something about yourself that reveals yourself to you. That was a lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so then, oh, that's actually what I'm doing because I have no idea why I do what I do. And so I, that's where I have to, you have to come into prayer. But sometimes you have to suffer through these like that isn't working, quote unquote, working in prayer. Well, maybe that's you like realizing how to pray more authentically. Or maybe that's you realizing like or cutting through some of the junk, which like a lot of my prayer honestly is that that's what it is. Like, no, that's not actually the issue. Oh, this isn't actually what's going on. Like, Lord, I'm trying my best here. Uh, there's Dude, all these you know things what, going on. You know what? This, this is going to be a, 
it's a little bit of a, a, a pivot here, but the it just makes me think of this whole discussion. I've been thinking about reading rereading it um, rereading it anyway, but it makes me wait. Think let's of see how, if we let's see if we can guess the book. Yeah, guess it. Um, My first thinking wait. was "Till We Have Faces," but yeah, it's till it's till we have faces, oh! dude. <laughs> That's it's dope. till we have faces, man. That's Full exactly send. It. I don't know if I'm using that right. Wait, what did you say? You broke up. I said full send. Full send. <laughs> hey, we did, let's we full sent that, man. <laughs> All right. So you're thinking about rereading it? No, that's it. I mean, that's just. Uh, I mean, yeah. just what Mike just described is like our faces are veiled, and mm-hmm. we put God on trial, and it's like that's it's the wrong move. Yeah, like we can't talk to him face to face until we have faces, not him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I just I've been struck at like how profound the truth in that book is oh, more and more. It's yeah. so hard to understand, though. It is. Ugh. It is. Don't get me wrong. Let's For re- some people, let's reread it. Maybe we should start yeah. a Three Dogs North book club and have like an online forum. And I don't know. That's a dumb and idea. I'm going to cut that out. Cut that out. That was stupid. That's a dumb idea. Um, I'm stupid. No, but that's that's legitimately it. Is like her whole life is about having a face. Her whole life is leading to the moment where she can stand before God and actually look at like behold Him face to face. And she had to go through all of these things that she that made no sense to her. Mm-hmm. And and that's where it's like okay, work is both it's one hundred percent the work of God, and yet you have to come in and do work in prayer. Um, like we, you you have to kind of sit there and suffer through it. Like, what am I even saying? Why am I thinking about all this stuff? And, oh gosh, yeah, that's really true. But 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 you, ha- if you don't suffer through that, it's never going to happen. It's like. I mean, well, the Lord, I shouldn't say that. The Lord can always come in and, and, um, and, and have a miracle. Like that, I, that's totally real. The Lord can just show up whenever he wants in whatever way he wants. But, um, at the same time, like if we want to be day to day disciples, like you have to sit down and do that examine and suffer in that experience give it to the lord and then him say okay this is actually this actually is mine i am in this moment i would i did not abandon you and to receive his love even in that moment there i mean it yeah yeah that scene that scene where she uh is just reading her long list of complaints against the gods and she's reading and reading and reading and she realizes that she's just been saying the same thing over and over again that's a very haunting image of prayer that you like, how long do we sit there? If you're really trying to engage mental prayer and, you know, disclose yourself to God. Um, and this also gets to like the, the, place, the place we find ourselves guy talking about childhood stuff and our, our own training of, uh, is it okay to be upset? Is it okay to bring these feelings out, you know, or, or did I, at some early age, learn the lesson like that feeling is not okay, or you you you're not allowed to disclose that desire or thought or feeling, um, especially like being upset or angry or hating things like that. Like oh, those are unchristian things. I need to not 
do that or you're not allowed to say that to someone who you who you love um i think what i read in that book is like god wants to like the way to deal with that stuff is not to repress it but to let it out and then realize who you are in the mirror of god's face you know like by going to him and unreservedly and totally vulnerably unloading your heart's contents um then you realize you're just a babbling child and he's there like embracing you um but you didn't even know who you were until you until you sat through that whole thing i love what you said dude about the pain of not being god yeah that is that is something very essential that i think at the at the root of a lot of my own personal journey of faith um is is that you know like why why i i thought i could just be perfect without god was because i thought i was god or like i was still clinging to and i still do in so many ways cling to the idea that i'm good now i got this you know um but when you yeah that's why like the sunday night after after all these masses like your busiest day as a priest and then you're by yourself completely powerless um you know no one's thinking of you you know maybe they are but no one's obviously there for you it's just you and god and your utter poverty after you've been the god man and provided them with the blood of jesus and preached the gospel and everybody's telling you what a great guy at sports you are um (laughs) you know then then you're you're confronted with your (laughs) that's a sentence reference um he says, Marge, today Bart gets to sit in the front seats because he's a good good guy at sports. Um, anyways, when you confront your, your nakedness in front of God and realize, like, I really don't have anything to offer you um, or to even offer myself, that's when, yeah, that's when the facts of grace happen. And, oh, gosh, that's it, man. Of, like, when you realize you don't have anything to offer and, like, you're still loved and able to experience grace. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Dude. Nailed it. it man, won't. we are the best. Dude, we have so much <laughs> to offer. We are the best. We just did it. Man. Yeah, problem solved. I'm glad we're offering this to God. <laughs> Thanks. Right? You're wow. welcome. Well, j- yeah. Oh, man. Because it's like, yeah, we say that stuff all the time. Of like, give God your gifts and your talents and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't need them. Like, because he's a good dad. Yeah. So, still, anyway, still he gives them. them to us. He wants them. He yeah. wants them. He wants it, them. It, it, and people like, have different ones. You know yeah. that that stuff is all real True. in the parable of talents and all that. But yeah, it's not. It's yeah. You are not yeah. your talents. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, man. Well, it's and, just that image of like, yeah, helping. Helping your dad with the projects, like not because you're actually helping him, but because he wants to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, I remember growing up. Whenever they'd pass the the basket around for the collection, it was like dad would take out his wallet and give us a dollar to put it in the basket. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh yes, <laughs> I just gave that dollar. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's it. Man. That's legitimately what it's like. Yeah, like to. Which in, you know, he does allow us to share in that. Like, which is beautiful. 
but it's his gift that he gave to us for us to give it away because it's a share in how he lives. That's being like God. Mm. That's the invitation for us. But it's, yeah, man, that, uh, that moment that you're talking about, uh, just as you were talking, Connor, about just being in the parish that Sunday night after just like holding the, the parish, AKA your world, like in the palm of your hand. And it's just like, man, I, yeah, I literally gave people salvation mediated as an instrument, like for the salvation of the world. And then you come back to the rectory and it's like, you're, you're just totally, you're confronted with your own humanity, just your own limitations, your own, yeah, not being Godness. And it, when you were talking, a scene from the passion came to mind, um, which I got to watch this Holy week. I haven't seen that movie in a little while. And I was a blubbering mess during that thing. Mm. That is such a beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, hey, and this all sounds really great, but I got about three minutes. Just oh, <laughs> FYI. Oh, yep. okay, okay, oh, okay. I'll be quick. But the, just the scene where Jesus is scourged and he's just totally ravaged, and it's like right around the Ecce Homo moment with Pontius Pilate, and Pilate's like offended. He's like, "You're like, what power do you have? Or I have the power to to condemn you or save you?" And Jesus looks at him totally broken and says like dude the only power you have is given to you by my father that is it and it's like oh yeah that is that moment hmm. like i have all the power in the world <laughs> and yeah. jesus we look at jesus and he's totally broken and he's like dude all the power you have is only from my father yeah but it's like are we can i look at jesus and and see that i don't know i don't even know what that means but um, or look at the scourge Jesus and say, like that's that's a weak man, or something, and we and we don't embrace that weakness. Like that's kind of what I feel like he's showing us in that. It's like, look at me, <laughs> I'm in charge, and and look at me, I'm scourged and arrested and crucified. What do you what do you think you are? You know. Um, yeah. Real quick, I want to, before you have to go, Rob, just a heads up. Um, I showed Mike my, my album the other oh, night. Oh, nice. Him. Uh, so it's six songs. It's going to be on Spotify May 17th. Uh, cool. Why the Water Came EP. My brother's designing a dope uh, with the help of Danielle Center, friend of the show and friend of us, uh, a sweet album cover. And Nice, dude. Hopefully this week, maybe tomorrow or the next day, uh, depending on things. It'll be up on a site called Bandcamp, so you could go to, to connordanstrom.bandcamp.com. Um, I'll tweet it out in Facebook and stuff like that, but just so people know, in case we don't podcast for a while, because you never know. Um, it should be up in the next couple of days to stream for free or buy for the price that you want to pay for it, and all the proceeds are going to go for the St. John Paul II Newman Center. Um, nice, dude. Wow. Yeah. yeah, send that stuff along when it like happens again. I'll pass the word here too. We'll do. It. Obviously, it's going to be out there in the internet mm-hmm. as well. But good. Okay. Anything else? Nope. That's it for me. All right. Let's cut it. Can we cut it there? And then one real quick thing for you guys that can't go on the air. Okay.
Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.